When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Ready to get your glitter on? Then head to Worlds of Fun Grand Carnival from July 23rd through August 7th for a larger than life shimmering celebration. Join the spectacle of color, a dazzling parade of floats, performers, music, and beads that sweeps across the park. And take your taste buds on a world tour while dancing to music after dark. Save over 45% with a carnival bundle, which includes admission, parking, and three food tastings. Only at worldsoffun.com. It is your post-match reaction. Uh, sorry for the delay there. Things all whirling around on your laptop. But, uh, we are back with a post-match reaction. That does feel good to say. Mm. After three months without football, Everton were back in Gunnison Park today. Uh, they played Liverpool in the Merseyside derby and they drew nil-nil. Um, Mark Mosey and Rob Vera here to have a chat about it with me. But first things first, lads. Carlo Ancelotti, talk about a lockdown glow-up. That fella looks a million dollars, doesn't he? Absolutely. Really good suit. Slim. Full of energy. I mean, those walks down Crosby Beach are certainly benefiting them, aren't they? Absolutely. The, I think the lanyard makes it. It says, I'm stylish, <laughs> but I can also get you into restricted areas. And I think it's <laughs> that type of suave nature, which is the reason why we've been Duncan Ferguson off and went for him. Nothing to do with any form of managerial prestige, just for the sheer, sharp, chiseled jawline on the touchline. Carlo Ancelotti looked exactly like the man that a teenage version of me would have gladly set up his recently divorced mom with. Um, (laughs) He is everything cool about cool. And he walked in without the tie on and that suit. It just, it was so, it was so like, Hey, don't worry. I'm Carlo Ancelotti. And and I'm not even going to try like an accident or anything. It's just, it is so the vibe that he brings to an atmosphere like that. And uh, he looked great, but I, I would say also that there was just something about his sort of relaxed nature that you wonder if it's beginning to kind of permeate through the through the team a little bit. And and we'll go on to talk about it. But for all the all the poor, uh, you know, all the poor things we can talk about going forward, um, it seems like 
having Carlo Ancelotti plus maybe no Goodison crowd uh, took a lot of the weight off their shoulders today. Well, I was, I was going to bring up, you know, what it was like watching, but we're on Carlo Ancelotti here, and I think it's probably a good place to start because I think the the thing coming out of that most when no real stand, Seamus Coleman was able to stand out performer on the day, you know, say he's an 8 out of 10, but apart from that, no one really got to that level. Everyone just did pretty well. But I think as a unit and collectively, Everton looked like they were comfortable in what they were doing, they were well coached. And I think the, the other thing I thought was really impressive was that there was never a spell in the game where Liverpool really got on top of Everton. You know, whether, you know, a midfielder won a foul, you know, we cleared it down the line properly and got our shape back. And I think those sorts of things, when you're playing a team like that, you are relentless and can smother you. Just having those little breaks, just having those little outlets are really important. And it felt as though it's it's probably the, the most I've seen an Everton team in Carlo Ancelotti's image. We just, it, it, we just look like a canny football team out there today at times. Yeah, I think it, it was the perfect setup against a post-lockdown Liverpool. I think if we were to go back three months and play in the same ilk, we'd have probably brought ourselves a lot more problems on. But as you said, as, as limited as we were going forward, you felt like the whole game plan, there was an acceptance today that we were going to probably not have a great deal of the ball. And to an extent, even when we did have the ball, it wasn't overly important what we did with it to a degree. Because when you do set up in the way that we did, uh, relatively rigid, and obviously with, with the front two that we've got, we know what we are sacrificing in terms of a bit of a clinical edge at times, but the, the workmanship is what you buy into when you play against teams like Liverpool today. Um, I think that the, the main concern for me coming out with the game is the fact that I'd forgotten just how big a problem the midfield was for Everton. And I think you could arguably say that of the top five poorest performers on our side, four of them would have been our midfield. Uh, and that is that is something that you rarely get away with against any Premier League side, and even more rare against one of the quality of Liverpool. Um, so as much as I wouldn't say that we got away with it today, because clearly we had some good chances towards the end and arguably caused bigger problems than Liverpool caused us, I think it's something that not only needs work in the next few weeks, obviously, but something that Ancelotti will have had his eye on with regards to the transfer window for quite a while now. For me, I, I come back to exactly what Mark said about the midfield um, throughout the throughout the match. I guess the the most I can say about them today is that for the most part, and we'll get on to Tom Davis, who I thought was our worst performer today. But if but for the most part, the midfield didn't make the huge mistake, and you kind of expected with how rusty they were going forward that 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 would inevitably lead to you know some big chances that just you know overall didn't materialize so much, which I think probably covered their sins a little bit. Um, but whether it was, and I think you can kind of both. This is kind of a both things can be true at the same time sort of scenario where. The, the 11 that Ancelotti picked today is exactly what I would have picked, uh, especially with the four forwards. I didn't want Sigurdsson in there. Um, I, I feel like Awobi's 24 years old, and he is, he's got better skill and pace than any of your other options, which probably says more about our options on the wings than it does anything else. Uh, but I'd rather 
play a young player that we've invested money in that has a chance to play going forward versus, you know, just playing something uninspiring completely. And then, of course, Anthony Gordon starting. They, I would rather see Anthony Gordon have a game like this where nothing quite comes off, but he's got now 70-something more minutes or 65 more minutes of Premier League experience that is crucial to his development. Um, so I don't think they were net negatives. But to Mark's point, just going forward, they, they offered really nothing today. Uh, the front two, uh, outside of Richarlison having a surge late, didn't do a whole lot either. Uh, but the midfield, it, you do forget how bad it is. And 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 then you're reminded and you don't know how you even got to 0-0, which I think because of how bad the midfield was, I can probably accept uh, this scoreline a little bit more. Uh, but it also, to Mark's point, shows just how much work there is to do. Well, I'm thinking the same breath, Rob. Everton up there. By far, probably the best five chances in the football match. You know, there wasn't Jordan Pickford doesn't have to make a save until the, the last minute of the game when that, that Fabinho free kick goes over the bar. And it's, it's quite a routine save at that. You know, Firmino drags one wide. But apart from that, you're struggling to think of any moments where Liverpool Liverpool caught card, us open to a point, but then they, they didn't really make the right decision in the final third. Couple with some good defending, but Everton had three or four clear cut openings to to win that football match. And I think when you you know, a lot of talks about Robertson being out and Salah being out, et cetera, et cetera. But when you put it into context, this is a team that only two teams this season have taken points off in the entire Premier League campaign. So I, I don't know. I think, I think you might be being a bit harsh on the former lads there. I think they were always going to have to feed off scraps. And certainly mm. the front... I think, I think the front two in particular would have been really easy for them. I don't know. I was become disinterested in that game. And just have the reds go down and just go a little bit too deep and stop being fully committed. But the fact that Carver Luna Richards and grew into the game, despite spoiling for long spells, I think is a testament to those lads and, and the work ethic and the quality. Well, sure. And, and I would rate the forward play above the midfield play. And I think you, you do bring up a good point that I think more of my critique is about their ability to be effectual at all moving forward or going forward with the ball. I, I think to your point, though, I think they did uh, manage to kind of scrape out some chances. They, they, you know, closer to the end when we got a little bit more mo- momentum and we looked more likely to potentially get uh, to get a chance. But I would also say that the effort was clearly there, and I can't really, I can't really fault them for that. There wasn't a player that you looked at today and said he's really dogging it out there or anything like that. Um, but just the inability at times to to really have any kind of net positive of, of aspect or effect on the game uh, from an attacking standpoint. I, I just think that that's trying to survive on very, very little food and or very little bread and water in, in, a, in a scenario like that. And, and I don't think it's sustainable going forward. But, to, you know, to, to what uh, kind of to what Mark said earlier, um, again, at this after this delay against this Liverpool side at this stage of the restart, um, this is probably, you know, the the best possible scenario we could have played this poorly in midfield going forward or poorly attacking wise uh, in some ways, at least for m- bigger chunks of the game until the end um, and actually still gotten away with a result like this. Well, I think at half time, Mark, you texted me saying that's about as good as you can have for against it's not locked down Liverpool there really in regards to Everton stifling them. And, and that, that was always how it was going to be today, wasn't it? I think Everton... We're never going to have five, ten minutes where you can Liverpool back in and create a chance after chance and we were defending those. It was always going to have to be playing moments. And I think for the first, you know, the first ten minutes, everything was good in those moments. For the next, you know, 60, 70 minutes, they actually weren't very good in those moments. And then for the last 10, 15, they were, they were clinical and better and took a lot more care of the ball in those positions. 
yeah, it was it was a stale first forty five. Uh, I thought it was it was very much the probably the best example since the restart that we've had of football teams really just allowing each other to grow into the game. Uh, and I think we we probably needed that a little bit more than Liverpool just to be able to put up with the the potential attack and threat that we'd had. Granted, if Mo Salah's on the pitch, I think it all gets a hell of a lot more difficult for us. But I think the the thing that, as much as we'll allow lockdown to be part of the reason for this, and as much as Rob talks about the midfield's ability to progress going forward, in a game like today, I don't necessarily always need that. I don't always need Andre Gomez to be to be connecting consistently with Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison because, to a degree, it's a little bit unrealistic. But I think what you do expect is just a mature, composed element of ball retention. And that's that's the thing that I really struggle with with Everton in that today was probably the best example for me of needing the player that Everton don't have. The closest we've ever got to this particular player is a tedious link with Abdoulaye Decore at the end of a transfer window. And it's someone who, yes, is capable of breaking forward 20 or 30 yards with the ball, but it's also someone who intercepts a pass 40 yards out from your own goal and you don't get that lump in your throat about what happens next. And I think all of our midfielders were a little bit guilty of that today. Um, Andre Gomez looks like someone who is still trying to get up to the speed of, of actual Premier League football, which for so many reasons is understandable. But I think that's that's something that will will hopefully come in time. It's something that you imagine that Ancelotti is going to infuse into this side. As much as we talk about the the structure and the rigidity of the setup of his sides, he doesn't strike me as someone who is always happy to allow the opposition to have the ball. There needs yeah, to be some yeah. form of control from our side about what happens in the game. And yes, th- this all comes with the caveat of being up against a, a team who are probably going to go on and achieve 100 points this season. But if we're going to look at ourselves, and I think it's important that we do that today, that is something that we really need to work on quite quickly. Yeah, I think, I think that is fair enough. Well, you know, I think in the same breath, I, I do want to try and focus on some positives. So where, yeah. where positive aspects to take from this game today? Because let's be honest. Uh, ab- absolutely. absolutely. On, the, on the shows this week, in the Pearl today, in our WhatsApp, Everyone thought everything were going to get a good hide today by, by a few goals. And, you know, Merseyside Derby is a good scene in particular. I never really liked that. Everything always did in, but it, it's a different sort of Merseyside Derby. A few standout individual performances, Rob. Um, Seamus Cup, man of the match on the broadcast over here on Sky. And I think from, you know, he gets a lot of stick, Seamus, and, you know, I think at times you've been critical of him, and, and rightly so. His form has been a bit up and down. Been a stick as a captain, you know, his rallying cries and stuff like that. But I think, in fairness to him today, he set the tone in his battle with Mane from minute one. The ball goes over to that left-hand side early on. He wins the battle, he puts Mane on his backside, and he deals with him really well. Apart from one moment at the end of the first half where Mane knocks it between his legs and gets around the other side of him. But apart from that, he just stuck to him like glue for the entire game and was excellent against one of the best footballers on the planet at the moment. 100%. And I... I would even go as far to say, especially as someone who has uh, been consistently and openly critical of of Seamus Coleman's output for the last couple of seasons, um, this this was today, I think, what a lot of us at least conceive of in our heads when we think, when we hear the word captain, right? I, I thought that for all of the 
the lack of execution, uh, you know, uh, offensively at the at the critical moment today. Um, I thought that the defensive effort, and really, you can go across that that entire back four. Uh, Luca Dean struggled a bit uh, going forward in the first half with some really bad some bad passes here and there. But I always thought that defensively we were pretty solid, especially given who we were going against. To Mark's point, we uh, certainly were lucky to dodge uh, Mo Salah in a game like this. But I really didn't have any complaints about any of the back four. But Seamus Coleman. Uh, he was riding that that edge. Uh, he had the yellow I, at times. I thought in the second half, uh, because I think I sometimes uh, you know hear his voice and how shrill it can be when he's yelling. And I think that he is just going. He's going to get that second yellow. But he he managed to ride that wave and not do it. And and really as a caveat to that, I think I picked up more on that even uh, more on that than normal today. I watched the broadcast without the artificial crowd noise, and I think that that made a difference in terms of how I can interpret some of the way that the players were actually feeling. And it's just so fascinating to take that crowd away from it. But um, you know, Coleman's consistent communication and and just his overall output, his energy, uh, played really solid defensively. Didn't make the big mistake. I mean, these were uh, I thought. Uh, uh, there were at least a couple times I can remember that Mike Dean's well, Mike Dean was being Mike Dean, and I think uh, Coleman was denied some uh, some tackles there. But uh, overall, definitely man of the match today, and that is hard to say as someone who uh, rates Seamus Coleman <laughs> as poorly as I generally do. Rob, coming from someone who watched the game with the artificial crowd noise, I'll tell you that the Goodison crowd were exceptionally polite today. Um, there was some Rob. <laughs> tentative boos of displeasure when Mike Dean blew up some free kicks around the box, but generally quite a polite atmosphere, which I think was in a, a good spirit of the game. Not overly sure we'll see it in future derbies, uh, but yeah, I think everything you said about Coleman is is spot on. I think the, the challenge for him as an individual now is to prove that we, we, we as Everton fans, we know that he is capable of that performance twice a season. We, we know we, we've seen it when he's come back from injuries or in big games like today. We know he is capable of rallying not only himself, but everyone around him. And I think what, what we have longed for for the past three or four seasons from him is some form of consistency. Show us that you are capable of just six or seven out of tens weekend after weekend. And I think that, that is something that, that he, with age, is now struggling with. Um, to the point where we, we do question his position inside. But yeah, today he was excellent. I think someone else, you know, I know you mentioned all of the back four, Rob, but I thought that Mason Holgate in particular mm-hmm. was someone who I felt as an Evertonian assured with myself when he had the ball. And I haven't had that many times as an Evertonian with any players. But he is so comfortable organising his defence, so comfortable speaking to everyone around him. And I think most impressively, so capable of taking the ball off Jordan Pickford or anyone else around his own 18-yard box and not losing it. And I think that that is something that, not only that, but he, he's got that awareness as a Premier League defender should have to know when that is an acceptable ploy and when it goes into head. I think there was a couple of times today where we, where we managed to work ourselves into trouble, in particular one incident in the first half that... Michael Keane had a shot at Tom Davis and and all of a sudden we were on our own penalty spot. And Mason Holgate, you mentioned captain in, in Seamus Coleman's name, but Mason Holgate is someone who is equally capable of being that guy that we need. And I think he is playing well above his years at the moment. Yeah, he was the leader in the back four today, wasn't he, Rob? You know, so, 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 so he's the For leader sure. in 
in the centre back partnership. You know, Keane is very much you know the senior player, but you know Holgate's been the one who's been the, the mainstay of that back four for a, for a few months now. And when the you know when when that pair needed a bit of leadership with the guidance, you know, he was the one to take the ball off Pickford very deep and look to play out. You know, which is hard, probably harder to do against Liverpool than any other team in world football, given the way they press. You know, he just looks like a lad who's ready to take on responsibility in any situation. Mason Holgate was fantastic, and the we've all been impressed in this three-year-long current season that we're in, <laughs> just how much uh, Mason Holgate's story has has developed. I mean, it has really been just, if, if you really consider where we thought we were with this position uh, at the end of the summer, to see Mason Holgate show us all of this, and, and yet you still get the sense that there may be another level to his game, uh, and we're seeing him grow right before our eyes. But he's comfortable on the ball. Uh, um, I think that you're absolutely right about Michael Keane, who, look, I, I I don't really rate Michael Keane. I don't think he's long for this world at the club overall, but I thought he was solid today in his role. And his role, to your point, is being that deferential partner to a more established or more forceful leader on the other side of him. And I, I thought that Mason Holgate handled that that role well today. A lot of the case that I would generally make, uh, that I generally make for Yerry Mina over Michael Keane, uh, beyond just thinking he's a lot better than Michael Keane, um, is that uh, he's really comfortable on the ball. And I think that if that partnership, or if we bring in someone like a Gabriel, or if any of these other wild rumors uh, are true about Tiago Silva, I mean, then you're having a different discussion. But but Mason Holgate has established himself as as one of the core foundational pieces of this thing going forward. And it's really exciting. Uh, and, and of course, this is just the first game of the restart, but um, there's nothing that we saw today that, that suggests that our eyes have been deceiving us up to this point. I've got a message off Foxy on Hot Mike. Have you watched us on Hot Mike? Yeah, let us know who you thought was Mount and Ash, what you thought of the game overall. Yeah, just get in touch with us, tell us what you thought of the game. Uh, Foxy uh, said, I thought we played well, almost a classic color performance. Really can't fault them much. We knew our weaknesses and compensated for them. I think that's a, that's a great point, actually, Mark. In regards to that, you know, we all knew where Everton were going to be poor today. Um, we all we all knew the midfield was going to be a little bit weak, and there was only certain things we could do to really, you know, compensate for that. But in the main, you seem to adapt well to the situations in the game where Liverpool got on top of us. Yeah, I think it's important to remember that we we are clearly a squad with weaknesses at the moment. Um, for, for so many reasons and we are coming up and we will come up against a lot of Premier League sides who on the back of a three-month rest have got their entire arsenal behind them we are not a squad in that in that category we've got two goalkeepers on the bench Everton have <laughs> just, just about in injury time made their third substitution and you'll probably be able to count on one hand the amount of teams since the restart that have not used five substitutions all in one go because they are capable of bringing those fresh legs on. And for one reason or another, Everton are not able to do that at the moment. I think the one thing that that will do, as much as we would like to be able to be in a position to utilise a larger squad, you will develop a sense of unity that other squads will probably struggle for because of so much turnover with playing staff at the moment. Um, as much as that will ultimately benefit those teams at some point and arguably later on in games. I think what Ancelotti is trying to do here is not to have this sort of scattergun approach about how we we, we look forward to these next sort of eight or nine games. I think it's important that we do keep that sort of solid core of players almost and, and 
use the the opportunity that we've been given to to not be able to change it up too much use that to breed a little bit of chemistry between the sides because you're going to need it on days like today where your technical ability is not probably up to the standard of the opposition yeah i suppose one of the things from that rob is the you know every team in, in the league at the moment has had three weeks training you know basically to themselves defensive friendly matches but they've been very much themselves and their manager if you if you put on every team in the Premier League since it's just start off at zero at the start of that three week training period, having Carl Angelotti working with these lads for three weeks without any matches, the time to get his ideas across, given the calibre of manager he is and, and the calibre of coach he is, that, that surely gives everything of an advantage over a lot of teams in this league simply because you've got a much better manager than most teams in this league. Oh, absolutely. Um, we've. It's amazing how much we've ridden the wave over the years of these um, managers who it, who we always think at times, you know, if they could just get three weeks alone with their team and, and, and implant their ideas and all, and all of this stuff, that's at least been our working theory. Um, but in the case of Carlo Ancelotti, you look at an opportunity like this to have this much kind of uninterrupted, largely focused and kind of, uh, you know, distraction minimal time together um, to just bond as a team and to uh, just, you know, get more time with the manager and especially a quality manager. Suddenly that feels like those are those opportunities for that incremental growth that we're always talking about that this club needs to make as much as we always talk about uh, the quick fixes and, and the way in which transfers can influence us getting better. And they certainly do. It, it's going to be that internal development of players, which really must first start with the manager and the overall philosophy that, that he imparts upon uh, the club as a whole. And especially these, these players who, as we saw today um, are, are still a very, very young side for, for the problems that we identify with some of the older players, um, you know, on a relatively frequent basis, like guilty Sigurdsson or some of the criticisms of, of Coleman at times. Um, you've still got a really young squad and, and you can't think of anyone you'd rather have uh, with a group like that for three weeks to just impart ideas and thoughts and overall Zen Jedi magic, uh, quite like uh, quite like uh, Carlo Ancelotti. <laughs> I think as, as much as you expect someone like Ancelotti to come in and your first thought is always, how does he progress the club? How how do we push forward? How do we do things slightly differently in order to take us onto that level? I think you, you probably take for granted how nice it is to have a manager who quite simply doesn't have any obvious weaknesses. Before we even go on to all of the great things he can do, you probably look back at Everton's recent managers, in particular Marco Silva and Roberto Martinez, and you can very quickly in your own mind figure out the reasons why we would have lost the game today under those managers be it set pieces be it just being generally terrible at the back and I think what Ancelotti does as much as there is that platform to to progress in future years he just offers that sort of base level of stability which a club like Everton have been crying out for for so long and so I think I think it's important that as as, as much as we expect so much from Ancelotti and and the new Everton or wherever that may be we needed someone just to steady the ship. And he has done that almost effortlessly. And I think that is a nod to, to the first signs of his brilliance before we've even seen the impact that he will really have on this side tactically. And Mark, I believe this is three. Is this, if I think I saw a stat during the game that he's lost three games in 11, so now three and 12, I think is it would still be the record. So that that speaks right there to to that, that solidity for sure. He's going to have a- now we 
we overlook statistics like that. We, we've got no right, given the last sort of four, four or five years, to overlook statistics like that because that level of stability and, and consistent points on the board has been so hard for us to achieve. So I think he, he as, as much as we all appreciate that he's doing a great job, I think it's even actually a little bit better than what, what we are all re- recognising. Let's quickly a couple more points before we wrap this up. Um, the chances at the end. I mean, I, I was up when Tom Davis tries to knock that ball across goal. In fairness to Joe Gomez, I didn't realise that he gets across and puts a, puts something on. Max, I think Davis scores otherwise, but just just take yourselves back. Imagine you know, two of the biggest Tom Davis fans on the blue room. Imagine that Tom Davis <laughs> winning goal in a Merseyside derby. You know, he never gets stick from the Everton bars ever again, would he? Uh, I'd be first in line. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I think when, when... seeing it again, you, you yeah. know, I thought I was in this stuff, but watching the replay, it's, it is an inspiring defender, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, as much as at the point where the ball lands at his feet, you absolutely expect him to score. Uh, and to agree, to a degree, that point still stands. Um, occasionally, you can't account for just that slight deflection that Joe Gomez managed to get on the ball. and. I, I do slightly put it down more to the hard look as opposed to poor finishing. Um, but it, it, it's the type of chance that even even at the point of that dropping seven or eight yards out in a Merseyside derby, it's about a 10% chance of an Everton player putting it in the net. And time and time again, it feels like we just have to go that little bit further to score a goal against this side than anyone else does. Um, but that that is what Merseyside derbies are for Everton, unfortunately. And that is the struggle that we all live through twice a year. Uh, and for me, I look, <laughs> I, uh, Mark and I are very much of the fellowship of of having realized, I would say, what, Mark, two, two or three years, probably two years ago that Tom Davis had nothing. And I I, I think it's it's been a while. But let, let me let me talk about today specifically. Um, the miss by Tom Davis there, I think it is absolutely fair to point out that, um, you know, there was a good defensive play there that. Uh, it wouldn't have been as clear cut a chance as some would argue. I, I, I get all of that. But I think that for those who are still kind of holding out hope for Tom Davis finally turning into something, um, it, the, the idea is that, you know, today is going to be the day. This is going to be the moment. It's like his entire narrative is waiting for this m- moment. And, and I will admit I had shade. There were shades of that Man City goal. You know, when, when you look at how he, he almost scored that, like there were shades of that Man City goal uh, just that flashed right before my eyes. I thought he was going to finish it. And I did think at that point, wow, if he finished, like in that moment, I was like, if he finishes this, I can't wait to talk about this because it's going to be a way more complicated conversation about Tom Davis. But but he missed it. And that's so Tom Davis. And, and look, it's not just that. Um you know, for the few times that Mike Dean tried to Mike Dean this thing, uh, there were a co- there were you know there there were also chances given away by by um, by sequences that began uh, with Tom Davis giving away a poor ball in the midfield. Um, for as good as the overall effort was today, and again, I've never questioned Tom Davis's endeavor in terms of his his output, his effort. Um, once again, he was a net negative and when he had the chance he didn't score and again DCL had a poor header off a corner that should he probably would have buried if he had if this had been earlier in the season but but 
I, I can't. I think this this game is just another reason that when we talk about uh, Everton having more options in midfield, even in this run in, I feel like I know what I need to know about Tom Davis. And if you're honest with yourself, you all know exactly what you need to know about Tom Davis. I would at this point rather see other players get those minutes to see if they've got something at this point. Yes, I mean the Benny Beningamies of the world. Why not? I am ready to see something else because in the last few games, this is all really about finding out what we've got for next season. Yeah, I, I agree with you generally on the overall points about Davis, but I actually thought he played all right today. I know you guys don't agree with that, but I, I thought he was I, I thought he, he was a thankless task playing in midfield, playing Everton yeah. for Everton. And let's be honest as well, Andre Gomez was still on 60 minutes. He was still on 40 minutes for our time. He, you know, his legs had gone. The Liverpool players were walking past him, so... In terms of the, having energy and getting around the pitch and putting tackles in and doing all those things, he was effectively Davis on his own against three other lads in there for Liverpool. So it was a thankless task. And I think he did okay. I don't think he was amazing. I don't think he had a terrible game, but I think he was probably six, seven out of ten, all in all. And that and you're right, Rob, it's you know, it feels at this point now where he is, it's gonna it's gonna take something it's gonna take something really special for him to go on and become a first team player for Everton, Everton, whether that be alone where he does really well comes back or, or whatever else or scoring the winning goal in a major side derby to just send his confidence through the roof and change him into a different player and you, you, you know I just wonder in a couple of years when Tom Davis is maybe playing somebody else or still struggling with everything we'll look back at that moment and think if he took that away maybe things will look a little bit different for him in Everton's shirt but you never know and two more things well, when he's playing not county in a couple of years, you'll look back at this day and think, oh, do, do, you, remember, do you remember when he was a Premier League footballer? You, 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 <laughs> My final point on Davis, by the way, lads, is that I have missed this. I have really missed all of this. You, you guys are like this. Come on. You know, we, you know I thought good, good results against the Champions election. I've won the game. I'm still going to have Tom Davis. You're obsessed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that that booking on Philip Dean was just probably the worst the worst recognition I've seen all season and we've had a lot of bad ones go against us. The ball literally goes in the opposite direction and he's five yards away from it. The most startling element of that decision is just how good a position Mike Dean had managed to get himself in to make that call. I mean as much as we talk People in front of goal and, and it being harder to harder to miss than to score. I genuinely think it was harder to make that call than it would have been to make the right decision and watch the ball go. As you say, it, it was so clear that I, I'm quite glad I had the comment the, uh, the the match crowd noise on in the background because I can only imagine the profanities that were coming from the Everton players at that point. But um, yeah, a, a crazy decision, um, and it, it seems strange that. We, we've gone almost a decade of this guy being a, a top-ranking official and not being allowed to referee a, a local Merseyside derby. And it, it's suddenly become the, the kind of done thing for all derbies. I'm not, not overly sure where that's come from. <laughs> I the, the only thing I'll add to that, to Mark's point about how utterly Mike Dean that whole thing was uh, in terms of the call, like to, to Mark's point, not only was he in a great position, but sometimes you'll see those slow motion replays where the player gets just this little piece that barely deflects the ball, right? We've all seen that. 
I swear to God, this ball, this ball, you know, shot off at a 45 degree angle. And I don't know how he could have missed that or what he thought actually moved the ball in the direction that it moved besides Luca Dean's foot. But I just thought that is that's the thing is it, it ended up nil nil today. But you're all you all have to admit you thought that was going to be the moment that probably cost us this game. I mean, that's that's so us. But it's also so the Premier League, and and, and I will be shouting this from uh, the rooftops uh, forever. But there is there is no effective uh, accountability or or set of standards that can explain away this consistent level of of officiating for this period of time. And my you know uh, my dean is a testament to that. You also know that the most annoying part of that decision is that. Mike Dean has spent the last three months getting really excited, growing a beard, knowing that he was going to be the topic of conversation at 8.30 on a Sunday night in a Merseyside derby. And that, that everything about the guy just screams. At, I think he would have claimed the assist for the free kick because... <laughs> That, that's the level of attention. That hey, created. Mark, was that his was that his Tranmere relegation depression beard or what was that? Yeah, that, was, that was him squeezing us for the three nil win. That wasn't enough for him all those years ago. He needed just to just to clench that little bit more out of us. Um, yeah. uh, by the way, Matt, on that exact point, and, I, and we haven't even said his name, I don't think, so far today. Uh, and I'm look at me. I'm just making – I'm uh, squashing beefs with all sorts of dudes today. Um, oh. I didn't think about Jordan Pickford for the vast majority of this game, and that's the greatest compliment I can give to a personality like Jordan Pickford, uh, who, I, who I thought was solid today, and I didn't think about him, so that's great. <laughs> Go ahead, Mark. Sorry. When, when he had to tip that free kick over the bar, all of the things were happening in my brain. Brain that, that have gone on in the last sort of <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Yeah, I think he didn't punch the and that's going for the defence. You know, yeah. in terms of Jordan, he came out and punched the few really well. He gathered most of the crosses into the box, but it was all very routine for him today. Okay. Uh, last, very last thing. Um, obviously, in a normal world, me and you would have been at Goodison Park today watching that most. Robbie, we were watching it with a, a Goodison Park crowd in the background from, from where you are. I mean. What 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 was your your feelings on watching it? How you watched it and your feelings? I mean, I I was just on edge for the entire time. I didn't know whether to sit down or like stand up or go and get a drink or not or went went to like jump up when we had a chance. It, it was all very very strange. How, how did you not find it? Um, I I'm struggling with my own thoughts on whether the Premier League should have restarted because I think boredom has pushed me to a point that regardless of what I thought previously, as soon as the football comes back on, there's absolutely no way you're not sitting down and watching it. And I think that is probably the dilemma that a lot of people face. And to this point, I think it's been one that I've been happy to to fall into. Um, it, it's been nice having some form of competitive sport back on. That, that all very quickly changes when it's something that you are ordinarily so personally invested in. And... Your experience, my experience of watching Newcastle and Sheffield United is is very much similar to how it's always been. But the experience of watching Everton in in big football matches, in particularly at Goodison Park, which which hurts that little bit more, that, that it all it makes Project Reese feel 
little bit sour to me. Um, and as much as I appreciate the reasons why it has to happen, uh, and, and as much as that will bring about an inevitable sense of disappointment for us as Evertonians, it does have to happen, and the league does have to finish. But it it's it's so alien to see Everton functioning when you are not part of, of that normal routine that we've always been part of. Um, so it, it's a very strange one. It's like, it's like when you go on holiday and you have to kind of catch up on Everton results and it feels as though it's not quite happening. Uh, and I feel like the, the, the last quarter of the season will probably feel like that and it will feel very, very distant um, to a point whereby it doesn't really matter what Everton do to a great extent, even a European finish. I don't necessarily think that that would sink in until we were able to, to personally see that come into effect. Um, so it, it's a very strange time for football, but, but it's one that we're going to have to get used to for, for the short future. Uh, today was the first day uh, that I've watched a match without the crowd noise. Um, I, for whatever reason, it's like I wanted to, pre- you know, for the for the games that I've watched up to this point, and I'll be totally honest, I have not made it through a full 90 minutes of any of these restart games. I just, I've had to kind of warm back up to it a little bit. But to Mark's point, those games all feel the same, mostly the same. They sound different, and they, but they feel the same in terms of my investment with them. So today, I, for whatever reason, decided I'm going to watch this without the crowd noise just to just to try and get a more authentic sense of what it must be like for the players today and the intensity level even though I thought obviously the effort was there I thought both both sides you you didn't think any of them were just again taking I wouldn't say that they were being lazy or taking taking it off but I without a crowd there there's just not that same fuel poured onto the fire of edginess and of anger um there were a lot more kind of casual summer preseason you know laughs and a few backpats and it, it just that part was different but consequently uh it did there was definitely a discernible feeling that the pressure of being in front of that Goodison crowd, as much as I totally get why everyone would rather be there. Um, I think that this wasn't the worst thing for them today in this circumstance to have their first game back in a scenario like this, only from the standpoint that it took a lot of the kind of normal, uh, you know, weight that they're constantly carrying in this game. And it just took it off a little bit. Again, this is only interesting to me. I'm not saying it's necessarily good, uh, but maybe it was good for this one narrow circumstance that none of us would want to persist. So I want to throw out all the caveats there. But um, for me, watching it, um, it, it was nice to be invested and feel something for something on TV related to sports again. Um, I I do feel like that, that there is some that we've got some quality pieces there. I'm, I'm excited to see some young players play, but um, seeing it without fans uh, is going to take some getting used to for now. Um, but it's something that given where we are in the season and what we have left to play for, um, it, it almost feels like an extended summer training preseason before the season kind of thing, even though it is, it is of consequence. I, I know that these games are of consequence. I'm just saying that that the stakes aren't particularly high for Everton. Uh, as Matt, Matt pointed out before, those three weeks of just Carlo Ancelotti with the squad, I, I think that there is some value to potentially be mined from this situation. Uh, and the lack of a crowd today was just a reminder of how awkward that entire environment and that entire situation actually is. Rob, you mentioned how how this must be for the players. 
I think we, we've got one player in particular who absolutely thrives off that match day and that match play experience, and that's Richarlison. And he is someone who tried, he tried to intrinsically generate that in the first 20 to 25 minutes. You, you could see him acting in a way that he'd try and get the crowd behind him. Even before the game, with those comments you made about Van Dijk, might have been a way of him trying to psych himself up for this because he knew the crowd weren't going to be there. 100%. Everything about what a Premier League match day in a stadium is, he lives for. And I think you, you get the best out of Richarlison at times when either his own crowd's on his side, the opposition crowd's on his back. There's some form of sense of occasion that he can thrive on the edge of. And that is the point where he performs best. And I think my concern watching him in the the final hour of today's game was that it's potentially going to be quite difficult to channel the best of him in the next few weeks because he is someone who he loves everything that we love about football as fans. Um, and I, I think as long as Premier League football resembles that pre-season friendly that Everton had in Austria where Ronald Koeman was hungover for the whole game and we played in Vienna's version of Sefton Park, that, that's going to be really difficult for a Charleston to, to be at his best at. I think, yeah, I think, I think what, what I'll say about that is what was encouraging for me was that he found a way into the game later on. Yeah, at least you know, like like go back to what I said at the very start. I think both of those lads up front, if if you're not as strong as mine as they are, or you're not as good footballers as they are, or you're not as hard working as they are, you don't get your joy late in the game like those do. Your head goes down if you don't make if yeah, if you don't make cavalry over Charles and you and you're not those that good, your head goes down, you go off the game, you get subbed off, Keen comes on, you forget about it. But both of them went again late on. I think I think that's that's encouraging for from both of their point of view. So yeah, yeah all yeah. positives and negatives anyway after that. Yeah. Um, been great being a post much again, lads. Really enjoyed it. We've gone for 43 minutes, probably the longest one of the season as well. Making up a borrow time. Uh, we will, of course, be back again after the game against Norwich on Wednesday. Uh, all sorts coming up this week. Lots of subscribers weekly on Tuesday. Weekly will be on Thursday this week, uh, so we can reflect on the Norwich game. We'll do a post-match on Wednesday night for the match against Norwich as well. Kickabout is out from last week, Rob. Um, love, love a good chat from that about the derby. Really enjoyed that show. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I, and by the way, we actually talked about it. I almost thought I was going to have my moment today, but we had an extended discussion about um, what are we going to feel like when we actually win this game uh, and, and to actually put your cynicism aside and try to actually envision it. I thought we were close to having a, a moment today of, 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 you know, discussing that or revisiting that discussion from the podcast. But uh, yeah, good discussion. Still a lot of fun, even if you know the result today. Yeah. And on Blue Room Extra uh, last week, we had 11s, which is um, me and Mark are on that all the time. Uh, one of my favorite shows to do. Uh, loads of fun. And, um, how would you describe Eleven's most to anyone who's not to be only initiated, I suppose you could say? Um, it's, it's an eclectic mix of all of the weirdest things that Evertonians have ever thought about. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Good way of summing it up. Uh, yeah, that's over on Patreon. So it's patreon.com slash extra. You know, loads more content now. The season's back up and running. Best time to subscribe. So if you want to hear a bit more from us, do head over to there. Thanks very much to Mark. Thanks very much to Rob. Thanks very much for listening to this. Cheers for sticking with us through the lockdown. Loads of football coming up. And we'll speak to you again very soon here on the Blue Room. 
searching for just the right job? Whether you're looking for full-time, part-time, or seasonal work, you can get started today. Amazon Jobs offer the whole package with great pay and flexible shifts that allow you to choose when and how much you work. Find a warehouse close to home and discover the role that works for you. To get your application started for an hourly job, go to Amazon.com slash apply. That's Amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is proud to be an equal opportunity employer. Sports Social Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.